you in the name of all that is good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Frank Castroweer, and I am a student, ministerial student at Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute, going to graduate and be ordained this coming June. And so this last year, in September through about January, I was an intern here at Spiritual Life Center. And I'm really grateful Reverend James asked me to step in and give the talk today as part of my internship, and I just really enjoy being here with you. And the talk today we've titled, Why Me? Or, Why Do Good Things, Why Do Bad Things Seem to Happen to Good People? You know, and this is a question that, especially for unity people, is especially intriguing. I mean, our very first unity principle is there's just one presence, and this, this energy is everywhere. This presence, this power, this divine essence is in all things, at all times, and everywhere. And we say that presence is good. So if it's everywhere and it's good, then what about this perception of things that are, are bad or these things that are awful that are happening to people? There's even a whole part of theological discussion called theodicy. And this theodicy is the question that has sort of challenged people throughout centuries of why do things happen to seemingly good people that seem so awful? I mean, how do you make sense of that? So... I'm going to look at that question from, from two ways and offer some thoughts about, about this, this larger question. And it's not only a question about why, why me, but also why us? I saw something in, the, uh, in the, the online newspaper that just had the top of the article was, why us? And it was a question that the people in the service industry, especially people who through the, through the pandemic have especially had a hard time with their with financial issues because of the loss of businesses. And they're saying, why us? Other people haven't gone through this. Why, why us? Why us? Why me? So the first thing I want to look at is, is a, a piece of, of poetry, a story that comes from the Hebrew scripture, the, or we might say the Old Testament of the Bible. And it's a story of a character named Job. And this is sort of a classical story about someone who suffers and tries to look at the question of, of why. Why does Job suffer? And then secondly, I want to take a look at something from natural sciences, some breakthrough of our understanding of life and how life unfolds for us from contemporary science. So first, let's look at this beautiful piece of literature, really poetic literature that comes from this Hebrew scripture, the story of Job. And if you're looking for it, it's right, it's the story right before the Psalms in, in the Old Testament or Hebrew scripture. 
And Job basically has four parts. Just to recap this story, because it's fascinating. The first part is, you know, challenges and, and, and you know, this, this sense of things can come into the world and really upset our lives is allowed by Yahweh, this divine essence that was understood by the, the, the Hebrews, this Yahweh divine God is allowing these challenges and these, these issues to come into life. And our protagonist in the story, Job, experiences these, these awful things. First off, there was these series of events that sort of wiped out all his animals and wiped out essentially his, his fortune and his way of making a living. And not only was he then economically pretty much destitute and challenged, along comes a terrible illness that, that visited, visited his life. And it seems like he's, he's breaking out in sores and boils and he's just miserably sick. And it says he's sitting in, in a pile of ashes. I think he's just lamenting his, his bad fortune. And so that's how the story starts. Our, our hero Job just really saying, why me? So along comes three friends. This is the second part, like friends. And what do they do? They, they supposedly are trying to comfort Job, but really they just keep needling him. Well, hey, Job, if all this has happened to you, it must be your fault, man. I mean, what did you do to deserve this? Somewhere along the line, you, your life hasn't measured up, and now there's some kind of divine punishment or retribution. And Job's saying, no, I've, I've lived a good life. I've, I've obeyed the laws. I've, I've taken care of my family. I've done everything I was supposed to do. It doesn't make sense. What's wrong with Yahweh? This is unfair. You know, why, why am I being punished? It's just not right. And for many chapters in this poem, they go back and forth and trying to figure out, looking at things in the external world about what did you do that has an exact consequence that allowed you to get so sick or allowed you to be in such economic problems. And they're basically blaming him, some friends, right? You know, even in, in unity, we sometimes have the same kind of conundrum. I mean, we have this sense of how we, how we think and the way we think will show up and manifest in the world because of our thinking. And so there's a little bit of what we know as metaphysical malpractice, where we look at someone we care about or love, and they're going through a challenging time, and we think, well, you need to maybe change your consciousness or change your thinking. Something that you're doing is the cause of your problem. And that's just like so, so uncompassionate. It so lacks that, that sense of empathy that you would expect a friend to give instead of sitting with someone and sitting with them in the mystery and un unfolding of what these issues are, we start getting potentially judgmental to them. So these friends go through this whole part of blaming Job and he's defending himself. And finally, the third part, a character walks into the story and his name's Elihu. Now, um, uh, Fillmore, Charles Fillmore, our co-founder of, of Unity, he writes that this Elihu is actually, um, we should look at this as, as the spirit of the divine who's visiting the story and, and inserting it, itself into the story as sort of a, um, an interpreter of what these events are. And this Elihu character says, stop, what kind of friends are you? Where's your compassion? How are you helping Job through this issue? And why do you all think you know so much and you can figure it all out rationally about what's going on in this, in this dynamic of Job's life? It is way beyond you to figure this out. There is a mystery unfolding. And in Job's life, you need to be compassionate with him and help him walk his journey as this, as this series of events unfolds for him. So stop. And in that in that breakthrough, Job is able to stop and listen. 
And finally, and this is, a, this is amazing for a piece of literature from 300 BCE or, or even older, the very divine essence, Yahweh, appears to Job, actually shows up and speaks to Job. And, you know, the literature of the time and other, and other traditions around the globe don't have the divine essence actually communicating and being part of the human life like this Yahweh, like this Yahweh does. And it says that, that this Yahweh divine essence speaks to Job in the eye of a storm. You know, I, I lived in Houston for a while or south of Houston on the Gulf Coast. And I experienced once, I was at a chemical plant and the hurricane went over. We, we sat there to sort of batten down the hatches as the hurricane went by. And I was there in that eye of the storm. There was a moment after the windows were shaking and the wind was howling, all of a sudden it was absolutely quiet, absolutely still. And we walked outside and we were astonished at just how absolutely quiet it was. It makes me think of that sense that this Yahweh, this divine essence speaks in the eye of the storm. It's in that stillness, in that quiet, in that solitude, in that, in that place we know in our meditation, in that place we know when we go to our hearts in, in the silence. And even though all the activity and energy of our world might be, might be going on around us and there's a lot going on, still, each of us has that ability to go find ourselves in the eye of the storm, in that center point in that place of connection with our true inner divine self, that, that, eye of the, that eye of the storm, that quiet place, and we can connect. And it's in that place that this Yahweh divine essence says, you're trying to make sense of all this, but what I ask you to do is connect with me. Connect. Hear my voice. And then Job says this beautiful piece to the poem. I read this one piece, he says, I'm speechless and I'm in awe. Now all my words fail me. I should have never opened my mouth. I've talked way too much, way too much. Now I'm ready to shut up and now I'm ready to listen. And so at the end of this whole story, after trying to figure out all that's going on and why is this happening to Job, the solution in this story is Job needed to find his center point and listen and to make sense of this connection with the divine. And there's a, an affirmation I heard that I, I love, and this affirmation makes so much sense in this, is no matter what is happening, say, in my financial issues or challenges, my connection to my inner self is unshakable and it's ever-present. Or no matter what's happened around me or, or seemingly the, these illnesses or something that might be challenging me physically, still my connection to my higher self is unshakable and it's, it's ever present. It's always there. And in our, maybe in our in, in intimate relationships with our, with our partners or our, our spouses or, or in our communities, still we could say our connection to source energy, to the divine presence itself is unshakable and it's ever present. It's always there for us and it's unshakable. And what Job discovers in the end is despite all these things that happened, he was connected. He recognized and realized his connection. And in that, the end of the story ends with some things restored, ultimately his health was restored, Ultimately, his, his family was restored. 
ultimately things did work out. But in the solution of all this stuff about why, 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 there was never an answer of why exactly. The answer from the divine source was listen, connect, listen. And that was part of his transformation. So let me lay another layer on top of this, this beautiful piece of Job, this, this ancient literature. Put that aside for a second. And I want to layer onto that a story that comes from biology. And this is a story, I think we've all known this story since we were children. And it's the story of the transformation of a butterfly, I mean, a, a caterpillar into a, a butterfly. And what scientists have found, and I, I've read this from multiple sources. I read some stuff from Deepak Chopra and, and Barbara Marks Hubbard and, you know, from, from scientific information. But there's this thing called imaginal cells or imaginal discs. I've read it called both. And in the caterpillar, there comes a point where, where he's reaching, the, the, the caterpillar reaches the end of its existence and its body actually starts to get, to get mushy and, and to lose its solidity. And it builds this cocoon and it crawls in and it actually experiences an entire transformation. And from the perspective of this, of this caterpillar, it's like falling apart. And it, it may want to resist that and say, I can't go into this cocoon time. I can't go through this process. It's totally frightening. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no sense of what's going to be on the other side. And yet there's this peace in the caterpillar, this imaginal cells. And, and these cells start working together. And, and the caterpillar uh, immune system fights these. Like, go away. Who, what are you? This is strange. This is unusual. You shouldn't be here. You're messing with my caterpillarness. And yet these imaginal cells are able to fight off this, this immune response of the caterpillar. And they, they come together and they start to grow. And they cause the actual DNA of this caterpillar to express itself as a new entity the butterfly. And it uses the sort of the goo and the mush of this dissolving caterpillar to transport to the other side to be this butterfly. And it comes out of the cocoon. It doesn't know yet all that it can do or what it's about. It sits in the sun and it dries off and then it's ready to fly. You know, I, I think about butterflies. You know, my my wife and I have gone to Costa Rica one time just to look at the monarchs, just to look at uh, the, these different blue morphs, I guess, these butterflies that are flying around the, uh, through the, the rainforest. And it was so exciting. I mean, we travel places. We go to the coast. We, we go places just to see butterflies. They're so amazing. I don't know how many of us travel to go see caterpillars. I mean, maybe some people do. But... It's just this transformational energy, these imaginal cells that are inherent to the nature of the caterpillar and then inherent to the nature of the butterfly and this amazing transformation. And we, as people, as human beings, we have the same innate energy and consciousness in our ability to transform. Maybe in the, in the butterflies, it's imaginal cells, or we could think of this energy of the imagination. But we have so much more as humans at our disposal, these energies, these powers to support us in our transformation. When even it looks like things are, are going, going in a not such a positive way, like the caterpillar dissolving, we have strength, and we have imagination, and we have faith, and, and we have a, a wisdom, and we have the power of understanding, and we have the power of love and the power of life, and the power of renunciation. We have all these various powers, even more so than a caterpillar, 
that we can call upon and support our transformation from times that seem to be where we're dissolving and we're being challenged and things aren't going so well, and then transport ourselves in this new time of a new possibility, of a new awakening, of a new um, uh, opportunity to, to move on to, to something else. And it's not only true for, again, not only true for just me as an individual, but it's also true for our communities and our relationships and our partnerships and our countries and our world that we all have this sense of, of this, this ever connection to our higher selves, our divine essence that can help us transform. It's, it's unshakable and it's always present and it's always there to help us move forward to new energies and to new possibilities. And so I want to end with a poem by uh, the Sufi poet Rumi that I think captures this sense of what do we do when things look like they're not going so well and why is this happening to me? And we, we want to maybe transform, but not only transform once. I mean, as people, it's not just caterpillar to butterfly. We have opportunities to transform in all sorts of ways and deal with potential challenges and transform all the time. I'm, I had a friend that said to me the other day, I said, how's it going? And he said, well, it's going great. I'm going through a growth period. And so lots of new things are happening. But you know how growth periods go. You know, they're challenging and they're difficult, but they allow for the possibility of this, of this, of this transformation. So ending on this poem that the Sufi mystic Rumi said, and it goes like this. When I die, I will soar with the angels. And when I die to the angels, what I shall become we cannot imagine. Blessings on your journey. Blessings on this forever transformational process. Blessings on staying with the mystery and knowing this presence, this process, this power is always here for us. Our connection to our higher self is unshakable and it is always present. Peace, blessings. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center